The gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13 from the CEB. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. The disciples asked, then why do the legal experts say that Elijah must come first? Jesus responded, Elijah does come first and will restore all things. In fact, I tell you that Elijah has already come and they didn't know him. But they did to him whatever they wanted. In the same way, the human one is also going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples realized he was telling them about John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. Well, please be seated. So, I got a little exercise this morning. I need a volunteer who doesn't mind being blindfolded and led astray. I see Adrian. Frank, right? Is it? You want to come? Come on up here, Frank. All right. Give Frank a hand. All right. So what I'm going to do, you trust me, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. So what I'm going to have you do is uh, be blindfolded, all right? And then I'm going to give you some instructions. And I'm going to be with you the whole time, just, okay. just for safety reasons, all right? So, and I'm going to need everybody's help here this morning with this illustration. In fact, the balcony, those of you, are you awake in the balcony? All right, good. I need your help this morning. Everybody in the balcony can help with this. In fact, everybody in the whole church can help with this illustration. So, all right, come around in front of me. You stand right in front of me. Face the congregation that way. There you go. You just stand there for a second. And let me make sure you're, can you see? No. All right, good. That's what I like to hear. All right, is that good? Or did I just mess it up for Did I mess it up? All right, let's do that. How's that? All right, so you just stand there for a second. I'm going to be right beside you. So what I want you to do is there's one voice that I want you to listen to in this room. And we'll call that like the voice of God or the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that voice is going to be calling you to them, okay? And all you have to do is listen for that voice and follow it and find the person that I am, have already picked out to be the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit tomorrow. Okay, can, you think you can do that? Sure. All right, now everybody in the congregation, I'm going to allow all of them 
to try and distract you. I'm going to allow the balcony folks to try and call you to them. So this is the audience participation, right? So I want the rest of you to try and lead him as well. Like get his attention, draw him to what you want him to do. Parent, I see your parents over here. I have no idea what they're going to do or say. Um, but, you know, you have to determine that. So for, you got a question? What's his first name? Frank. Yeah, they want to know that so they can yell it at you, all right? <laughs> so I'm going to be right beside you, kind of spotting you, make sure you don't hurt yourself. But I'm going to ask everybody to do this exercise with me. And so everybody, including the Holy Spirit, I want you just to start talking to Frank and try and get him. All right, now try and find the voice. Stop. All right. Uh, do you think you found the voice of God? Uh, maybe. Maybe. It's kind of a hard to get. So what's going on? I'm going to keep lying. So how, is that hard to do with everybody yes. saying that? Yeah, it's very hard. I noticed you were kind of going back and forth and back and forth, right? So that kind of harder to do. So this time I'm going to make it a lot easier on you, all right? All right. So I want everybody else to remain quiet while the one person speak. Well, I want the one person I've already asked to speak, speak. So I want just that person to speak. Walk to your right. Walk straight forward. Slow down. A <laughs> little more. A little more. Put your hand out. There you go. You found him. All right. So that's the, that was the guy I asked. So this, this is Larry. Larry, this is Frank. I thought you guys had a night to meet. Let's give uh, Frank a hand for being a volunteer this morning. I always love doing that exercise. Um, but so one of the things you see, and you can, because it illustrates so well that when we try and listen to too many voices, and this is true in our own lives, right? We try and listen to too many voices, we don't know which way to go. And we, we don't know which voice is the right voice. And the more voices that are in the room, the harder that becomes. So if it's like two voices, it's easier than three voices. But as you add voices, it gets harder and harder. And part of the key of the spiritual life, and we're talking about our spiritual lives and how sometimes we go adrift in our spiritual lives, the key to not going adrift in the spiritual life is to listen for God's voice. That's the key to that, right? But have you noticed that there's all kinds of voices in our world calling for us, asking us to go different directions, to do different things? I actually think that today we have more voices speaking into our lives than maybe 20, 30, 50 years ago because of all the different ways, all the different messages we get on a regular basis. And so it gets confusing for us. And which way do we go? And how do we know? We get confused and we become uncertain and so when we come to this passage today, this passage is a passage about clarity, about clarity around the spirit for the disciples. Now, I want to back us up just a little bit before this episode, when we get to this, what's called the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is transformed before the disciples. Before that, it says six days. This is six days later. Six days before that, they were in a, on a retreat together, the disciples and Jesus in Caesarea Philippi. That's the name of the place. And Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? 
And he's asking this question of his disciples, and he's basically saying to them, what are the voices out there saying about me? What are, what are people? What are the opinions? What are the judgments of people? And the disciples start to throw out different answers about who Jesus is. You know, well, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Jeremiah, and some say you're another prophet. And then he turns the, direction, the question to the disciples, and he says to the disciples, but who do you think I am? See, that's, that's important, right? It's not about the opinions of everybody else, but really, who do you say I am? And this is when Peter makes this great confession. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, for Peter to say this is pretty important because what he's saying is you're not just a prophet. You're not just a teacher. You're the son of God. You have special identity. You are sent from God and you are from God and you have this identity and I'm recognizing that identity in you. Even though at this point, Peter's life hasn't been built in any way around that identity. But he's actually made this confession and it's actually a pretty earth-shattering confession that he makes. This is a pretty radical statement of faith that Peter makes at this point in time because you got to remember, Peter has been hanging out with Jesus a lot. And not only, you know, we tend to see just the gospel parts of Jesus, right? We tend to only see the parts of Jesus that are written about him in the Bible. But Peter got to see the other parts of his life. Have you ever been on vacation with family? Nobody's done that? Just... <laughs> Do you get to see other sides of your family members when you vacation together? Right? You know what I'm saying? So you get to see a little bit more into their humanity, you know, even grandma or grandpa who you may love dearly, but you start to see some other things in their life. Think about this. Peter saw the humanity of Jesus more than anybody. He saw Jesus sleep and eat and get tired and laugh and cry. So he saw the humanity of Jesus. And so for him to make this statement that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, is profound. Because he saw the humanity of Jesus every day that he spent with Jesus. And so Peter then goes up with uh, James and John and they go up onto the mountain with Jesus. And they get up to the mountain. This is six days after he makes this confession. And we see this, uh, these two other figures appear on the mountain with Jesus. Moses and Elijah. The, Moses may be representing the law of the Old Testament. Elijah the prophets. And so they stand there with Jesus and there's this light, bright light and there's this transformation happening and Jesus is now alongside both, both Elijah and Moses. So Peter, I think like us in a lot of ways, does this. Peter, like us, wants to enshrine all three of them. He wants to honor and worship all three of them and, and set up shrines to each of them to worship them, to say, okay, well, because what is Peter doing? He's like, he's identified Jesus as the Christ, but now he's faced with Moses and Elijah, these two other people that he knows from his faith, and he's trying to make them all on the same plane, right? He's trying to put it all together. He's trying to make sense of how Jesus fits in to Moses and Elijah. He's trying to figure this out, right? And instead of trying to say, no, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God, like I said six days ago, he actually kind of backpedals a little bit here and says, I'm going to worship three of you now. And I'm going to put the three of you together in my new worldview, right? 
That's what he's trying to do. So he actually sets up, wants to set up these three shrines to worship these three different figures. Isn't that like us to do that, a human to do that, right? Because what do we want to do? Whenever we're confronted with different, um, different things, different things we learn and different beliefs and different values, we, we see some good in them and so we want to put them all together. We want to, what we call, syncretize them in our minds, in our lives, and in our worldviews, in our belief systems. And we'll talk more next week about worldview and how that affects how we go through life. But really for this moment, I want, you to, I want us to understand that you and I, this is actually trying to hold on to more than one voice. Just like the illustration. Like, do you ever try and do that? Do you ever like try and hold on to all the voices that you think are good voices and put them all, somehow make sense of them and put them together and make them fit together and mesh together? Because that's really human of us to try and do that, to want to do that. Because there are a lot of good voices as well as bad voices in the world. But I love what Andy Stanley, not Andy Stanley, wrong Stanley, E. Stanley Jones, totally different Stanley. E. Stanley Jones said, he said this, notice that what happens in this is that the cloud, notice this is when the cloud comes down in this event. And it's, he says, whenever you try and divide your inner life by competing supreme loyalties, a cloud will descend on you automatically. The divided life is the clouded life, right? Whenever we try and divide up our inner life by different supreme loyalties, which is what's going on inside of Peter here, he actually becomes, the, the cloud comes, right? The confusion comes, the uncertainty comes. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to react. Other parts of Scripture remind us of this in a similar way. And this actually, I think, is some of the reason that we go adrift in our spiritual lives is because we're trying to appease too many different voices in our life and we don't know which way to go. Notice that James reminds us of this. He says, Whenever doubt, when, whoever doubts is like the surf of the sea tossed and turned by the wind. He's describing the negative consequences of having doubts and doubting and uncertainty. Uh, I love the way, Frank, you had some doubts about some of the voices in the room, didn't you? And you were kind of like, I don't, because you weren't sure which one to trust, right? And so that's part of what James is talking about here. Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 2 says this, this is why it is necessary for us to pay more attention to what we have heard or else we may, what, drift away from it, Right? And so there's something about sticking to that one voice so that we don't drift away in our spiritual lives, in our faith. You know, if you've ever, my wife and I have gone kayaking a couple times, and, and one of the things we'll do is we'll go out kayaking uh, out in the, uh, the sound there, and we'll go out around towards Discovery Park, and, and then we'll just sit and let the current kind of take us, right? And it's really nice on a beautiful day when the sun's setting and the seals are swimming around and everything's beautiful. Hey, that's a pretty cool thing to do. And we just kind of drift. But eventually the, the current is going to take us into shore or into rocks or out to sea if we don't ever start paddling again, right? So drifting is not a long-term solution for any boater. But imagine being in a storm without a motor without an oar, without an anchor, and in the midst of just not being, no low visibility. And you're lost. I mean, you're just adrift. That's a dangerous place to be. I think spiritually that's a dangerous place to be. 
I think because when we drift spiritually and we kind of go by the currents or whatever's going on or whatever fits our whimsy that particular week, we can get caught into this same kind of thing. We're letting the currents take us rather than letting the anchor hold us, which is, I believe, Jesus. And I find people all the time, I talk to people all the time that they'll, they'll drift over to self-help sections and then they'll drift over to the religious section of the bookstore and they're trying to figure it out. They're listening, trying to test the different voices. And then I find people listening to politics and we have people drifting over the Democratic Party and people drifting over to the Republican Party and people drifting over to the Green Party. And then we have the people drifting from nationalism to feminism to secular humanism and all these isms start to be different voices and we're trying to make sense of them all. And we drift over to the entertainment industry and we think that somehow the Kardashians have the answer for all our lives. <laughs> Help us, Lord. Right? You see what I'm saying? We're, we're paying attention to all these different voices and we, we see, because maybe we see some good in them. But that's also the reason for our drifting. That's also the reason for our uncertainty. That's also the reason for our confusion. Notice that what happens in the cloud, though, here. So here we've got the cloud has descended, and this is what comes out of the cloud in verses 5 to 8. This is my son, whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Two things here. Listen to him. Very clear. And the other two are gone. My interpretation of this is that what's happening is not so much that they're being, Jesus is being elevated alongside these other two figures. I see Moses and Elijah handing the baton to Jesus and God saying, all right, it's time to listen to him. <laughs> it's time to listen to Jesus. He is now the one I want you to follow. He's the voice that I want you to pay attention to and not drift away from that voice, not lose sight of that voice. Listen to him. Notice that he's, Jesus is also at this moment alone. That Moses and Elijah are gone at this point, and it's just Jesus. And I think that's part of the message that God is sending to Peter, James, and John and to the rest of the disciples as they come down off the mountain. And what happens when they come off the mountain? What, what are the, what's the first thing they do as they're walking down the mountain with Jesus? Now, after they've seen this great, you know, transformation and had this great mountaintop experience, what do they do? Who, who remembers what happens as they come down the mountain? What's going on, Jackson? Tell them not to tell the story. Yeah, like keep, it, keep it on the DL, right? Keep it on the down low. What else happens? What's that? Yeah, we, we haven't got to that part yet. But you're way ahead of us, Pastor Joe. All right. But they ask questions. Isn't that important, right? Because what are they doing? They're asking questions. Of, and what they're trying to do in their questions is not really doubt. They're not doubting Jesus. They're actually asking questions because now they've got to fit this new identity and who Jesus is into their new worldview, into the way they see things and the way they think. So they're asking Jesus questions. Well, I thought Elijah was supposed to come first. And that, oh, that's John the Baptist. You see, they're trying to make sense 
of their new viewpoint, which is also important. That they're trying to rearrange their inner lives around the voice of Jesus. Right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever attempted to rearrange your inner life to listen more to Jesus, to elevate Jesus' voice among, above all the other voices so that we're not, you know, pulling a Frank, you know, doing this, right? <laughs> Thanks, Frank, for being a good sport. So do we want to do, is that what we, or do we do that? I think also I would say this mountaintop experience is important. I hope you all have mountaintop experiences in your life because I find those are few and far between. And I also find that the ordinary life is mostly where I spend my time. <laughs> and so I need those reminders. I need those places in my spiritual life that I can look back to and to remind me in the ordinary times, in the everyday times that I'm still listening to that voice, that this is the voice I'm supposed to listen to. It's an anchor for me. It's a place of solid uh, foundation for me. And I hope that you all have those kind of moments in your life that remind you to say, that remind you to listen to him over all the other voices in your life. So do you have a voice that leads like Jesus in your life? I hope so. It's important. Our daughter had surgery when she was little, about two she had to have a tear duct surgery because something was wrong with her tear ducts. And so we had to take her in for outpatient surgery and have them cleared like she wasn't crying enough. So uh, she, they needed to clear that out. And so we took her in. And before uh, the surgery, uh, the nurse came out and talked with us as parents and said, look, all right, she's going to be disoriented when she comes out. She's going to be confused. She's not going to be feeling well. Um, and she's going to want you to comfort her. And what's going to happen when she comes out is she's not going to be able to comfort herself or soothe herself. And so she's going to want to go to you and then she'll want to go to the other parent. And if there's a grandparent around, she'll want to go to the grandparent and she'll just start hopping around from figure to figure to figure, you know, parental figures. And so your job as parents is to figure out who's going to be the one figure that she'll go to. Because no matter who it is, she's still not going to feel great. <laughs> and so sure enough, she came out of surgery. They brought her out to us. And she immediately, you know, go to mom. Mom, she was with mom for like maybe five seconds. Then she wants to go over for dad. And then she's with dad for five seconds. Then she jumped back to mom. And I think if grandma had been there, she'd have jumped over to grandma. You see what I'm saying? And so what is she trying to do? She's trying to soothe herself. She's trying to take this discomfort and make sense of it and make it go away, right? She wants the confusion and uncertainty to end. So she jumps back and forth. But here's the wisdom. Pick one. <laughs> Pick one. Pick one voice. Pick one comforter. Pick one shepherd. Pick one leader. It's hard to follow three, four, five leaders. Pick one and simply follow that leader and listen to the voice of that leader. And then you're asking, some of you may even be asking, well, why Jesus, Matt? Why, why should I listen to Jesus? Well, I got two good reasons. My opinion. Jesus is probably the greatest teacher that ever lived. 
I think that Jesus, he is a great teacher. And even people who don't follow Jesus, even people who aren't Christians, see that in Jesus. Gandhi saw that in Jesus. Other great figures have seen the wisdom and the teaching of Jesus as valuable. So they've all looked at the teaching of Jesus and said, this guy has got something. So I think Jesus is a great teacher. And I think a lot of ways, Jesus teaches us things and shows us things that actually are already imprinted in us. Jesus gives us the blueprint for living and building our lives. I don't know if you realize that, but if you start to read the teachings of Jesus and you start to read through the Gospels, you start to see that Jesus is laying out a blueprint for us about how to build our lives, how to live our lives in relationship to God and other people in a way that actually makes sense and fits the way we're created as human beings. There's something in that blueprint that we need to follow. And so we, as followers, are simply trying to go to the blueprint, look at the blueprint, and say, okay, how do I build that part of my life like the blueprint that Jesus lays out? So that's part of it. But more importantly, I would say that Jesus is more than a great teacher. He's a great lover of people. And I, hear, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to follow somebody who's not, who doesn't love. <laughs> I, I find it hard to trust people that don't love. Do you? One of the things I know about Jesus is Jesus is a lover of people. And we can trust and follow Jesus because Jesus is the one that loves us in a way that no other leader has ever loved us. Sacrificially. Laid down his life for us. He, he, professed sacri- he demonstrated sacrificial love for his people. He didn't, it wasn't about ego for him, was it? In fact, if you read the scriptures and you look at his life, he stripped himself of ego altogether. And he loved. Because to truly love, you have to let go of ego. To truly love, we have to let go of our ego. And I think Jesus did that. And that's why I trust him. That's why I make him the one voice that I do my best to listen to. It's just, we need to know that. We need to know that the person that we're following deeply loves us. Otherwise, we're not going to do it. We're not going to follow. I was reminded of a story about Parker and Flossie. Parker and Flossie have been married many decades together. And Flossie was diagnosed uh, later in their lives with Alzheimer's disease. And things were okay at the beginning. It was just a few lost thoughts here and there. But as things progressed, Parker found himself taking care of his wife more and more and caring for her basic needs, feeding her, bathing her, dressing her, helping her in and out of the bed to the point where he every day had lost his relationship with his wife. She was no longer there, but he was caring for her. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, or you've ever visited someone in a, a family member in that situation, that it's, it's hard to be in that situation. But in, there are moments, though, along that situation where they become themselves for a moment. Does anybody know, what I, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, that where you see that parent or you see that loved one and they come awake for a moment, you know, and they're like, they're, 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 they're themselves for that moment. And there was a one particular moment when Flossie kind of woke up, became herself for a minute or two. 
And she looked at her husband, Parker, and she, she simply asked him one question. She asked him this question, do you want me? Do you want me? And Parker ran over to her side, kissed her on the cheek, and said, yes, I want you. And then she went back into her state. But isn't that such a question that we all have? Do you want me? Isn't that the question we're all asking of God, of others? Do you want me? Do you want me? Here's the thing. In Jesus, God is saying, yes, I want you. No matter how far gone you are, I am, whatever, the answer is yes. God wants you. God wants to be in your life, in my life. Let's pray together.